Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Masterbooks podcast. I have a very unique opportunity for you today. We are studying the Tower of Babel and Bodie Hodge from Answers in Genesis, the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum. He is here to talk to us about this topic. He knows so much about it. He wrote a book about it. And we are giving away a digital copy of this book called The Tower of Babel. Tell me everything that you learned about the Tower of Babel that you didn't know in the Moms of Masterbooks Facebook group and the Masterbooks app, and we'll be giving away one copy in each place. So let's get started. Here at Masterbooks, we are dedicated to help you disciple your children and develop a strong faith as a family. With Pro Bible Homeschool curriculum and beautiful books that honor God as Creator. We offer online courses to help your family worship and serve God. You will also find morning baskets and devotionals for the whole family. Our mission is ink on paper to touch eternity, and we have been publishing Christian books for this purpose since 1975. Find your Pro Bible Homeschool curriculum at masterbooks.com. Well, hi, Bodie. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be back on, Jennifer. It's great to have you. You've all, you always bring something that I know very little about, so I'm super excited to learn from you today. And ladies and gentlemen, everybody who is listening, we are going to be talking about the Tower of Babel, or is it the Tower of Babel, or <laughs> is it something else? Tell us, Bodie, how are we supposed oh, to say this? Babel, Babel, boy, that'll get you in trouble in different parts of the world, won't it? <laughs> Um, right. I went over to England and they all say Babel. Um, I typically say Babel, Tower of Babel. Okay. If you look it up in English, Webster allows us to say it either way. So we're safe here in the United States. But I know in uh, places like Australia, it's Babel. Um, if you look it up further, you know, and I, I actually did this as the first chapter in the Tower of Babel book. Right. Um, the French say Babel. And uh, in Hebrew, it's more like Babel. They actually stress the first part first. The Germans say it like Babel. You know, very similar to the way we a lot of us would say over here. And it makes you wonder, you know, did, is it because of a lot of the German immigration over the United States? Maybe we still say it similar to the Germans. But uh, either way, uh, we're allowed to say it either way. I typically say Babel. So okay. forgive me if, uh, if that's not the way you're used to hearing it. Well, what I'm excited about for everybody that's listening or watching today is that this topic covers so many subjects. Biblical, it's biblical, it's historical. It's archaeological and probably several more things, geographical, language. There's so many things involved in this one topic. So I feel like this is a great book to supplement for high school. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, I, I've talked to a lot of different people. Linguists use, use this book. Missionaries love using this book because it really helps uh, talk to the people that they're that they're actually witnessing to. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when you're dealing with uh, d different sciences, geography, as people go to different parts of the world, uh, structures, uh, you know, the Tower of Babel influences that. People groups, why we look a little different, uh, you know, so it actually ties into some of the genetics and the biology, um, you know, historically, of course, you know, so yeah, they're, they're, I mean, you could insert this book and utilize it in a host of different subjects, uh, inserting it as a supplement into your curriculum and in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. Well, I was reading it to prepare for this podcast interview, and I loved this quote. Scholars write off what occurred at the Tower of Babel as mythology and deny it was a historical event. 
And then racism runs rampant, fueled by the false belief in a higher and lower evolved races. And that's on page eight, which you can find in the free preview that I'll link to in the notes, show notes of this podcast. But tell us a little bit about the connection between the Tower of Babel and racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, there's a lot that you just uh, unpacked in there. You know, a lot of us have been taught what's called the out of Africa model. That came from Charles Darwin in his book, The Descent of Man in 1871, where he argued basically you got to throw all the world's history out, rewrite it to say we evolved out of Africa because that's where the apes are. And so you have higher and lower races. So you can see where that ties in Mm -hmm. uh, to racist philosophy. But really, that's just a homemade, man-made mythological story. And yet the world is bought into that and they seem to think that's the truth. And then they want to throw out true history uh, from the Bible, as well as from cultures all over the world, because they kept track of their history. People weren't crazy. They weren't weird. Uh, They kept track of their history. But that history has largely been ignored today. And so there is a connection between all of that. And it really does tie into this racist philosophy that's been uh, promoted from an evolutionary worldview. A lot of people don't realize an evolutionary worldview is inherently racist because they believe people are evolving higher and lower and at different rates. Isn't it fascinating how we are, the world is at war with God and that part of the way they war against God is to erase history in Mm -hmm. order to create their own man-made ideas Mm -hmm. when the Bible, I mean, it's deception. We have the author of lies, right? Our enemy is the author of lies. And so it's just classic deception against the word of God. And so I'm so thankful that you and your colleagues work so hard to help us bring everything back to the word of God, the authority of the word of God, and to show the world that this is just a theory. It's just a myth. It's a man-made idea. Mm -hmm one man deciding we needed to rewrite all of human history to fit his philosophy. Yeah. And, you know, this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That very first deception was to to get get Eve not to believe what God actually said about a particular fruit. And uh, that deception worked. It's the same thing today. We get people saying, well, you don't really have to believe the the six days of creation or the Mm -hmm. flood of Noah's day or the events at the Tower of Babel. See, it all fits together. It's that same lie. It's that same deception. What we need to do is step back and go, hold it. God is the absolute authority on everything, whether it's a Tower of Babel, whether it's the way we look at each other, whether it's salvation, whether it's education, whatever it is, we need to start with mm-hmm. God and his word. There's no greater authority than God. When right. anyone objects to God and his word, what we need to do is step back and go, hold on a second here. By what authority do you object to God's absolute authority? And what that does is it reveals a fallacy. It reveals a fallacy where people trying to elevate their own thoughts to supersede what God has to say. And mm-hmm. that's called a uh, faulty appeal to authority or a false authority fallacy. So they're right. being illogical right off the bat. And it's also just an enormous amount of pride. Yes. I mean, it all comes down to that. You know, we, we want to follow our own sinful desires over humbling ourselves and going, wow, you know what, Lord, let me repent. You're the one that's right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's powerful when people can step back and go, okay, maybe I'm not quite right here. Let me compare this to God's word. Let's let's go with what God has to say. Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad we're talking about this and and how sad that racism, which is a horrible, demeaning, degrading, condescending mm-hmm. way to look at people, comes from a myth and obviously not from God. 
And I'm thankful that your book and then um, another one of our books, One Race, One Blood or One Blood, both of those help us see the big picture. And so we recommend that for all of you. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. And that's that's powerful. You know, when we start with the Bible, we all go back to Adam and Eve which means there's one race of mankind. We, we often call it the human race. In old dictionaries, it actually said Adam's race. Mm. Um, you know, I was always fascinated by that. But yeah, it doesn't matter, you know, our skin tone or, or our hair or, or those certain little features. We've been conditioned to look at those and try to separate us into different races. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is start stepping back and going, hold it. We're all part of the human race. And these variations are actually a beautiful thing. It's I'm, I'm actually thrilled that everybody doesn't look like me. I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> That's a great point. So the mythology of it and the reinterpreting of Genesis 11, how is that related to the Tower of Babel? Okay, I missed part of that because for some reason, my watch decided to start talking to me as if I had asked it a question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Technology. I'm not kidding. Satan's not in the details. He's in the technology. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Okay, so how has mythology and reinterpreting of Genesis 11 impacted what we have been believing for years about the Bible, about the Tower of Babel, and why does that matter right now? I mean, we've talked about that a little bit, but I want to dive deeper in in Genesis 11 and mythology. Right. What it really does is it affects the next generation. Um, You know, think think of this, you know, I've actually had people call me up and say, hey, you know, I'm going to be upfront with you. I don't believe Genesis. You know, I don't agree with it, but they still want to hold on to Christ. And they're calling me up because guess what? Their kids have now walked away. Their kids are atheists. They're not believers. Mm. And they say, what did we do? And I said, well, you're, you unlocked the door. You basically said, hey, you don't have to trust Genesis. You told your child it was myth. They just pushed the door open further and said, well, if that's not true, why would I believe any of it? Right. And I think that's part of what happens when, when people get convinced that a certain part of the scripture is myth or not true. Why, why would you trust me? If you can't trust Genesis, why? Why trust the gospel of John? And I think that has affected our culture significantly. Now, it's been a process because it wasn't, it was about the late 17, early 1800s when people started rejecting God's word uh, in light of things like millions and billions of years, long ages, rejecting a global flood. Mm -hmm. And alongside that comes rejecting the Tower of Babel or rejecting the fall of mankind and the six days of creation. So it's all tied together in there. And what's happened is, By the 1870s, a lot of the universities fell from being a Christian standard to buying into the secular worldview. And then by 1925, there was the Scopes trial where evolution, human evolution specifically, was on trial in Dayton, Tennessee. And although the creationists won it, it unlocked a door to say, oh, well, uh, you know, those creationists, they don't they don't really believe the Bible. You know, Uh, they're open to, to long ages. And next thing you know, by the 1960s, the Bible's ripped out of school. Uh, all mm-hmm. sorts of semblance of Christianity has been yanked out. Logic has been yanked out of classrooms and so forth. And that's why it's important for us from an education perspective to make sure that, A, we're treating the Bible as the absolute authority, not as myth. Mm-hmm. And secondarily, that we actually start teaching the, the, the Bible's truth from Genesis 1 to 11 in our classrooms, immerse it into each subject. You know, reinsert logic into classrooms if we need to. That You know, I, I want to encourage that sort of thing. So, I mean, yeah, it's a big deal. And uh, you can see just a taste of that uh, in that particular answer. So right. hopefully that gets you thinking. Absolutely. So for those people who are not super familiar with Genesis or the Tower of Babel, give us just a quick overview of the story of the Tower of Babel. What happened? 
Okay, so time frame, this is after the flood. So you have to think Noah and his family, they come off of the ark. The mm -hmm. Lord says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He actually blessed uh, Noah and his sons and, and they, they had their pick of the world. And so, you know, they probably started mapping different things and so forth. Noah became a farmer and, uh, you know, he planted a vineyard and so forth. Well, events uh, unfolded there. And all of a sudden you have this massive population um, flee going away from Noah's farm. They're traveling eastward. They find a plain in the land of Shinar. Shinar means between two rivers. This is between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Mm -hmm. And uh, they decided, hey, let's not be scattered. How about how about we stay in one place and, and build a major city? Let's make a name for ourselves. Really what they were doing is they were trying to defy God and his command. So here they are locked up in this, their, their same little area trying to become more and more powerful to make a name for themselves. And God wasn't going to let them get away with it. He came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And uh, he said, uh-uh, we're not, he's not going to allow that. So he confused their language and spread them out uh, to different parts of the world. And in a general trend, we actually see Japheth's descendants kind of going north and, and uh, northeast. Uh, we see uh, Shem's kind of remaining in the Middle East as well as going uh, toward the east. We see uh, Ham's uh, generally heading toward the southwest. Mm -hmm. And it makes you wonder, if you go back to Genesis, when Noah, Noah got drunk, it was, you know, he laid naked in his tent, right? Mm -hmm. Ham comes in and basically goes out and tells everybody. It's like putting it on the internet, right? right. <laughs> in it went month. viral. Right. And, uh, of course, you know, Ham's two brothers said, let's go in backwards and let's cover him up. It makes you wonder, you know, where was Noah's wife at that time? Had she died by that? But is that the reason? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe he got so drunk. We don't know, you know, all the details to that. But one of the things that Noah said, you know, he called down a few curses, but he said to enlarge Japheth's territory. So it makes you wonder, is that why he essentially got two quadrants, you know, compared to, you know, say, the other two? And, of course, Shem received another type of a blessing uh, as well. So it makes you wonder, did these guys know where they were supposed to go when the scattering actually took place, when the language were confused? Because they did kind of go in a general trend uh, mm -hmm. based on uh, who they who they really were. So, you know, there, there's a lot to that question. I talk about some of that in the book as well. Right. It's so fascinating. There's so many parts of the story in our history that bring it, it whoever, whatever you're interested in. If you're interested yeah. in history or archaeology or the Bible story, you know, the, the chronology of it, I just think it's fascinating. So I asked some of our moms of master books, what they would like to ask you and have right. you answer on the podcast. <laughs> and um, I, I started out with, we all go back to Babel after all, that's what you say in your book. And so one lady says um, she wants to know if the pre-European inhabitants of North America came from the tower of Babel. So what do you say about that? Yes, all people, even the, the the Native Americans, which I have a little Native American in me, actually. I'm, I'm mixed. I've got all sorts of stuff in me. Mm -hmm. um, yes, they would have come from the Tower of Babel as well. Now, as people go to different parts of the world, what's going to happen is, okay, you got Babel, and you're going to get initial settlements nearby uh, from Babel, okay? And right. then they're going to spread out, and they're going to spread out, and they're going to keep getting farther and farther away. By the time they get to the Americas, that's pretty far away. By the time they get to Australia, it's pretty far away. So a lot, what we see a lot of in places like Europe and Africa, the Middle East, even in many places in Asia, we see a reflection of a lot of Noah's sons, grandsons, and great-grandsons mm -hmm. with their names. And that's quite significant. So like a whole area of a region 
reflects a name of Noah's son. For example, the land of Canaan. Canaan is one of Noah's grandsons. Okay. Or Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is one of Noah's grandsons, and we translate that as Egypt. We just use the Greek name for Mitzrayim as Egypt. So okay. as these guys come out of the Tower of Babel, they have different names. Javan is one of Noah's grandsons. That's still the Hebrew name for Greece. So we still see a reflection of that. Ashkenaz is the ancient name for Germany. A lot of the Jews that ended up in the land of Germany after the, the war with Rome, they became known as the Ashkenazi Jews, Jews living in the land of Ashkenaz. Uh, in fact, the name Scandinavia or Asaxon are variations of those names. That's where we get Scandinavia and Saxons, one of the German tribes. So we see a reflection of their names all over the place. Now, by the time they get to the Americas, you got sons and grandsons and great-grandsons and so forth. So sometimes we don't see those reflective names as easily. However, we have been able to trace a number of Noah's grandsons that have made it to the Americas. And uh, I got some of that outlined in the book. So that's kind of exciting. That now, is related, exciting. Now, related to that, somebody might ask, well, how did they get there? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that's an interesting question, too. Uh, now, remember, Noah and his sons were master shipbuilders, so they could pass on all sorts of incredible shipbuilding technology. In fact, in Genesis 10, there's the maritime people, that is the island people, uh, the boat people, essentially. And uh, they're mentioned right there in Genesis chapter 10 among the Gentiles. So, yeah, they were traveling by boat. They went out to the Greek islands, went as far as Indonesia and Japan. But guess what? They probably went as far as the Americas as well. So, yeah, they can do that. The other thing we have to remember is the flood. Now, I, I don't want to go into a whole bunch of flood geology. I don't want to go into a whole bunch of uh, uh, scientific terminology here. But the flood created unique conditions to make an ice age, to trigger an ice age. Okay. Um, you have to have warm oceans and cool summers. I'm not going to go into all the details. But if we just cool the earth off, you're not going to get an ice age. But with warm oceans and cool summers, you can get an ice age. What it is, you get a bunch of evaporation. And uh, in the winter, you get a lot more snowfall. And if the summers are cooler, it doesn't all melt off. So you leave some there for the next year to build up. And okay. that builds an ice age. Makes sense. But, but big picture, the flood triggers an ice age. So over time, you take a lot of water out of the ocean and you put it on land in the form of ice and glaciers and so forth. And what that does is it takes your ocean level and causes it to drop. And what that does is it exposes land bridges. So we would have the Bering Land Bridge that actually connects Asia to uh, Alaska. Uh, we could potentially have had people walking all the way down to Australia. They could have walked out to Japan. They could have walked out to England and Ireland and so forth. So that really helps explain how some of the animals, as well as the number of people, uh, got to certain places as well. So I know that's a long answer to the question, but hopefully that gives you a, a short, quick, snappy answer. Absolutely. I love it. And it just gives you more ideas of what you can find in Bodhi's book, Tower of Babel, which is at masterbooks.com. Another question, another listener wanted to know about any archaeological evidence about the Tower of Babel. Were there pyramids before and after the Tower of Babel? Were they, did they just come after or were they before? And then do they resemble the Tower of Babel? Okay, so any of the ziggurats or pyramids would have come after the events of the Tower of Babel. Okay. So yes, you have Noah's farm, but then you have the city of, of Babel, and they build this big tower, a city that, you know, the, the name of it was the, the tower to reach up into heaven, you know, and, uh, you know, so you have this tower. Now, it's more like a step pyramid. 
Now, a pyramid itself is a specialized form of a ziggurat. A ziggurat is just the fancy name for a step pyramid. And as people go to different parts of the world, they took the building project with them. They brought it all the way over to the Americas. The Mayans were building them. The Mississippian culture, they were building the big mounds. We see them in Europe. Greece actually has pyramid. Mm -hmm. um, in uh, Egypt, they have pyramids. China, they have pyramids. But they also have step pyramids. We find these all over the world. So it makes sense as people are going all over the place, they're going to build those same type of megalith structures. But as for archaeology, there's mm -hmm. actually a lot of archaeology for the Tower of Babel. And in the book, here's my book, just so you guys get a chance to yeah. see it here, the Tower of Babel. Um, I do talk about some of those archaeological finds. Uh, one of them that's uh, quite popular out there is called the ba Tower of Babel Steel or Steely. It's not made out of steel, though. It's just a rock. Mm -hmm. um, it's got an etching on it of this tower. You can see the step pyramid uh, in its form. And it's got Nebuchadnezzar next to it. And there's an inscription uh, talking about uh, this tower. Babel's dilapidated and old and needs to be kind of uh, refinished, refixed up. And that's going to happen over the years. You're going to have all these different times where you're going to have to uh, fix up the Tower of Babel because it's got errors and glitches and the weather's going to act on it. Mm -hmm. So that's normal. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is far later than if you were to jump back to the events at the Tower of Babel. So they are separated by a time frame here. However, um, what we need to remember is um, it's still the same site. It's the same place. And we actually find the footprint for the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called... Yeah, the, the fancy name for it is Etamanonki. In the native tongue, that means the tower from heaven to earth. So don't don't let the fancy name scare you. I like that better, the tower from <laughs> heaven to earth. Really. I know. It's a little easier to pronounce. Mm -hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, archaeological Babel has actually been dug up since 1899. A German archaeologist named Coldaway was the first one to start digging there. And they find these find foundation stones and uh, the descriptions of, you know, all different things that are actually found there, that there's an Isangil temple that stood next to where the tower was. They actually have uh, artifacts for that, and, uh, you know, they can find its footprint, too. Uh, you know, so they found a lot of these types of things. Now, over the past hundred years, it's the German archaeologists that have been leading the way. That's why a lot of us English speakers probably haven't seen a whole lot on it. Uh, recently, uh, Professor Andrew George from the University of London, who does not believe in the biblical event of the Tower of Babel, by the way, I want you to understand that, uh, he decided to take it upon himself to basically fill us in on what all these Germans have done because he's fluent in that. And he's also an expert in ancient uh, Assyrian and Babylonian cuneiform, basically their old writing. So he can read a lot of their, their ancient documents and all these different things that they pull up archaeologically, and there's hundreds of them uh, that have been found. And uh, what they found is that there's actual base for the Tower of Babel. Uh, there's a 91 meter base. That's the highest one. That's the one Nebuchadnezzar used. And that's the one that prior to Nebuchadnezzar when the tower was actually destroyed uh, by Sennacherib. And then it was rebuilt by his son. And then Nebuchadnezzar fixes it up. But mm -hmm. they actually have records of this same base going all the way back to the time of Hammurabi. And many of you may be familiar thinking, oh, that name rings a bell. Yeah, he was known for a bunch of laws. But uh, just so you know, you have Abraham, and then a little bit after that's Hammurabi. So we're getting way back there when we're talking about that same 91-meter bases there. Well, some of these other archaeologists, they found that there's two more bases underneath that. That's fascinating. Yes. One is 75 meters, and the lowest one is 65 meters. And either way, I mean, this is a structure that has at least 200 feet by 200 feet on each side. And the, the original Tower of Babel probably was 
that lowest one, that 65 meter base. So, I mean, there's a lot of archaeology. I'm just giving you a taste of it. Hopefully yeah. you're excited about it. Yeah. The, so the book has a lot of archaeology written mm -hmm. into it. Yep. Wonderful. So ultimately, what we want to do because of our mission, Ink on Paper to Touch Eternity, we want to show everyone why the Tower of Babel is an important topic for knowing how to defend your faith, knowing how to defend the authority of God's word and the faith that you have based on God's word. So let's wrap up with that little ditty. Well, it's important because we need to understand Genesis 1 to 11 is coming under attack. I mean, creation's coming under attack, the fall of mankind, mm -hmm. which explains why there's death and suffering in the world and why we need a savior, actually, uh, goes back to uh, Genesis chapter 3. The flood comes under attack. Tower of Babel does, too. Uh, out in the secular world, they're just wanting to write all this off as myth. They just want to throw it out. But you know what? When you actually uh, step back and think about this, there's no greater authority than God. God is the absolute authority in every single area. By what authority can someone object to God's absolute authority? We need to recognize that, that, hey, this is a fallacy right off the bat. People are committing a faulty appeal to authority fallacy. It's also called a false authority or misplaced authority foul fallacy. We need to get back to God and his word. He's the absolute authority. And you know what? When we start with the Bible, it makes sense. You find uh, uh, archaeological Babylon. You also find the uh, archaeological uh, footprint for the Tower of Babel. We find all these different archaeological pieces. You know what? Those are great confirmations of what we expected uh, in light of Scripture. So we need to get back to the authority of the word God. And here's why it's so important. When you realize that the Bible's history is true, the Bible's message is true on all these other things, guess what? The message of the gospel found in that same history and that same book is also true. So not only can we use this from an education purpose, inserting the Tower of Babel into each different subject, whether you're talking about linguistics, whether you're talking about science and archaeology, mm -hmm. or whether you're just talking about people groups or biology, you know what? Yes, this is powerful but it also can be used as a stepping stone to the gospel. Absolutely. Which is why we're talking about it. Why we're, why we're publishing books about it, why you have your job to <laughs> help people see the gospel, help people see the importance of the whole scripture and how it breaks down and why we are in the state we are in, in this world, because we have allowed it to be misused, mistaught, um, and man-made authority has taken its place. And, um, you know, in one of the books that Ken Ham wrote, mm -hmm. The Gospel Reset, he talks about the fact that when we present the gospel in today's climate, in today's culture, we are presenting it to people who don't even know what sin is. Mm -hmm. They don't have a foundational teaching, many of them, of what sin is and how you're separating yourself from God. So, it's so important that we as Christians who want to do the word of God and share the salvation we have in Jesus Christ to know the truth that sets us free, to know the Bible, and also to know how to present the Bible in today's culture so that people will see the fallacies that you're talking about of authority. Yeah, exactly right. We need to we just need to get back to God's word. And you know what? It starts in the home. You mm -hmm. know, when we train our children, we train this next generation uh, to stand on the authority of the word of God. You'd be surprised how powerful that testimony is. The Bible says train a child in the way that he should go. Result, he will not turn from it. Right. And that's why it's so important to teach the kids how to defend their faith in mm -hmm. today's secularized culture. 
And I love Psalm 10720 that says he sends his word to heal us and deliver us or snatch us from that pit of destruction. And you know, that's what we need, right? Yeah. There's so many people who need healing in their minds and their bodies. Our culture needs healing, you know, and if these people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. And so, Lord, I want to pray right now that our holy, that our holy God would forgive us, help us turn, help us as Christians know the truth, share the truth effectively and be the light here on earth, city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And we just pray in Jesus name that the students related to who are studying master books curriculum, learning the gospel in every single subject will know this truth that sets them free, that heals them, and they'll go out and be game changers. And so, Lord, we ask it in your name, Jesus, and we ask it for your glory. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you for the work that you do for the gospel. And we just bless you and your family and pray all goes well with the things that you've got going on in your home. All right. Thanks, Jennifer. God bless Take you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for joining us today for the Master Books Podcast. It was really fun to do this with you today. We hope that you'll take a moment and rank and review the podcast wherever you are listening or watching so that others can find it more easily. We loved having you here and we look forward to being with you on the next podcast. It comes out every other week, Mondays at 5 a.m. See you then.